that we've called Gifts to the Church. And it's set, for those of you who've been coming over the last few weeks and months, in the context following on from our Romans 12 series, where everybody has gifts to use in the building of the body. But it's also set in the bigger picture context of where we're at as a church post kind of COVID really, this reshaping. And two things that have been um, of most importance, I guess, in that has been biblical uh, shaping, and prophetic direction and biblical and these things kind of run in parallel to one another and and feed into one another and biblical shaping really is ensuring what we mean by that is ensuring that in all things we're shaped by the word and not by the world and the reality is is that the moment you become a Christian and put your trust in Jesus you go on this journey of discovering what this looks like more and more but Jesus isn't just an upgrade onto your already life just add him to all the other things it's a complete turning upside down that's the symbolism of baptism it's a death to everything that was and it's a rising to new life of something completely and utterly different which is shaped by the word not by the world and if you're going to base your life on the word of God then you're going to be viewed, I'm just going to be blunt with you and honest with you, you're going to be viewed as somewhat weird by people who base their life upon the world, what the world says. You're going to be viewed as having kind of, frankly, at times outdated views at best and actually accused of worse, at the worst, harmful or damaging views. But the reality is, as believers, we believe that the Word of God is both authoritative, has authority, and it is timeless. It speaks to all people of all generations, of all nations, of all cultures throughout all time. And so you would expect for a moment, you would expect that it would clash, the Word of God would clash with every culture and every worldview at every moment throughout history in some way, in some shape or form. And right now it very much does, particularly around issues to do with gender and roles and sexuality and all those kind of things. There is a huge clash between Word and world. And what we're going to look at, some of the stuff today, kind of is a big clash between Word and world. And the reality is, as a believer, I'm speaking to those of us in the room who who would confess ourselves to be Christians in this moment, when the word does clash with the world, it really does reveal what weight we really place on the word being authoritative and life-shaping for us. And the reality is, and this is a kind of a big picture apologetic, I guess, for basing your life on the word, is that God is good. Just logically for a moment, even if you don't not a believer, logically for God to be God, he must be good, right? He must be perfect. And if God is good, what he says is good and it is for our good. Even when, especially when it feels like an instinctive, mm, I'm not sure I like that very much. God is good, what he says is good and it is for our good. And so we put all these things together and really we've just been on this journey of reshaping based on the word, led by prophetic direction, what is in our DNA, redigging the wells is that sense of this is what has been in our history. It needs to be reshaped for this world in which we live, which means we don't change what we believe, but the outworkings of how some of that looks and what it looks like, we need to think about. 
and re-kind of dig these wells and build in such a way as to enable increasingly us to be the kind of church that we believe God has called us to be. One which is not just about coming to a meeting and receiving from a few people. It's about every member, every person who calls this home being able to give gospel ministry to one another, not in the context of Sunday meetings, although that is part of it, but in whatever it is you do tomorrow and the next day and in the next day, out there in the real world, in the context of community together. And everybody, Romans 12 series we just looked at, has gifts to be used for that. And then for those gifts to function well, the church is described as a body. And in order for the gift, the body to function well, in order for those gifts to function well, there needs to be leadership, which are given to the church in the form of what we call the people gifts that we see in Ephesians 4. And part of the redigging of the wells is re-looking at a biblical vision for what leadership looks like in order to make this every everything kind of church really function. And so last week we looked at the role of apostles. And as, the, as we kind of see, they have a big kingdom pushing out kind of shaping role. The essence of apostolic ministry is always to push out. The, as the first apostles that went and did this great commission stuff that we just looked at, Matthew 28, what they did is they planted churches as the best way of making disciples of all nations. And into these churches, they appointed leaders. Now, there are lots of different types of leaders within the Bible. But when we get to the New Testament and church in particular, those with governmental roles, if you like, within the church are most frequently called elders. And so Acts 14 verse 23 tells us that the apostles appointed teams of elders in every church. Titus 1 verse 5 says that this was their priority to appoint elders in every town. And we see this throughout the New Testament. When Paul writes, for example, to the church at Philippi in the book of Philippians, he literally writes, verse one, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, just hold that word in your mind for a moment, we'll get back to it in a minute, and deacons to the leaders. There's clear leadership in the church that we see in the pages of scripture. And so if we're to be biblically shaped, we too need leadership, but very crucially, we need to be clear on what leadership is. And my concern in these next few moments is less about the way that biblical leaders must lead, which is very clear in Scripture. They're supposed to lead humbly, lead humbly as servants. They're to lead faithfully as examples. They are to work diligently as co-leaders, all the rest of it. All the qualifications, you can go and look yourself for leadership in the church or in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But more today, my concern really is the purpose and function of leadership. Specifically, having looked at apostles last week, I want to look today at eldership, which is not as straightforward as you might think for all sorts of reasons. Just for example, we have the challenge of language. Language matters, words matter because, well, language defines things. When I'm asked what my job is, I, to be honest with you, use different words depending upon the context, depending on who I'm speaking to. When it comes to insurance forms, I'm a minister of religion because there's nothing else that really fits that category. Although I have tried other things and it tends to put the price up. So I'm sticking with minister, <laughs> minister of religion in that moment. But if I'm speaking to non-Christians, for example, and they ask me what my job is, I generally use the word leader because pastor or elder, both of which would be job descriptions that would fit what I do, kind of don't generally land with people. And whilst I have a, a theological degree and formal training, I'm not 
a vicar in the sense of the Church of England word. I'm not a priest in that sense. Ministers a bit, well, what's, what's that kind of mean? And, and all the rest of it. And so I describe myself as leader. I started at the beginning here, didn't I? I said, my name's James and I lead the team at New Community. I'm very intentional with why I say that, partly because it's my name, but also partly because I wanna emphasize there's a team here. It's not all about me. I don't use the word senior pastor because, well, truthfully, there already is a senior pastor and his name's Jesus. He's the head of the church. He, is, he leads the church. 1 Peter 5, 4 describes him as the chief shepherd. And that word shepherd can be interchanged with pastor in Greek. And we wanna be really clear on that. And so I often, for simplicity and ease, use the word leader. But even that's kind of fraught with all sorts of challenges, isn't it? I mean, just culturally at the moment, leaders, there's not too many of them in the world which are, you would say, bang on, really think he's great or she's great or all the rest of it. Like, let's, it, don't necessarily, it's kind of a bit of a loaded thing. And even in, within church culture, it's a bit of a, a loaded thing. We often kind of end up making assumptions and mistakes in our thinking about leaders, that leaders are somehow more important than everybody else or leaders are the most gifted people. Neither of those statements are remotely true, certainly not in this church. Now, this is a very important sentence I'm about to say, which I will refer back to at the end. Whilst it is true that elders are leaders, not all leaders are elders. Let me say that again. Whilst it is true that elders are leaders, not all leaders are elders. And that's actually a really crucial point. So let's just, in the next 20 minutes, clear up the language thing. And in doing so, hopefully, we will make clear the function and the purpose of elders. Because there are multiple words that the New Testament uses to describe these church leaders. So if you have a Bible, don't worry, Ethan will get them all up on the screens whilst making notes, whilst sorting out the sound, whilst <laughs> probably running, running crash or something as well. Well done. <laughs> We're going to start in Acts chapter 20. Because in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it talks about Paul uh, sent to Ephesus. So Ephesus was the church which the letter Ephesians was written to. And he called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, the Ephesian elders are identified, we'll see in a moment, a few verses later as overseers. Back to that Philippians 1 verse we looked at a moment ago. But they're, being made, they're made overseers by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a somewhat crucial point. How are elders appointed in local churches? Jesus leads his church. He's given gifts of himself by his Spirit. How are elders appointed in local churches biblically? Well, they're not voted in. There's not a kind of, you put your job application process in and think, well, okay, no, no, no. It's, firstly, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, both in the individual's life in terms of that inner sense of calling, but then also in terms of raising them up within church life. Second part of that, after the work of the Holy Spirit, recognised by members of the local church. It's sort of, yeah, we recognise this guy as, a, as an elder here. And they're not imposed, but received and recognised. And then the final part of that is there's what we call apostolic confirmation, which was all the stuff we looked at last week. A sense of somebody with apostolic ministry says, yeah, we also recognise this guy and agree. But Paul here says that they, these elders have been made overseers by the Holy Spirit and they're commissioned to pay careful attention to the flock. And Paul uses the metaphor of shepherding to describe what they do. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So we see straight away here, elders are overseers. Now, our modern language makes that sound a little bit like a supervisor in a job, but in Greek, it's much more a sense of being a watchman, watching over. Overseers and shepherds are there to protect the flock from wolves and false teaching. Shepherds was very much a well-known Old Testament language for leadership. Jesus himself used this language in John 10, 11, when he said, I am the good shepherd. And he says that in this context of actually there being bad shepherds who damaged the flock. And Jesus said, I'm not like them. And real genuine biblical leaders are not like them either. Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd who does good for the flock. And part of the way these elders do this overseeing and shepherding is to teach. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 4, verse 11, the different gifts and uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and then shepherd teachers, which the way grammar, Greek grammar works, those two things are likely one gift, one role, shepherd teacher, interchangeable. So we have elders, shepherds, overseers, teachers, all describing the same role. Elders shepherd, they oversee, they keep watch, they teach. And part of the role of eldership is, is that teaching Because in a world of competing doctrines and ideas and thoughts and everything is available at the tip of your tongue, like if I was preaching this message 20 years ago, you would literally probably, most of us only have our Bible to be able to kind of look it up for yourself. Now you can Google anything you want on your phone and find any number of competing arguments and thoughts and different this, that and the other that are very much contrary to the word of God. Part of eldership is teaching and overseeing and shepherding is to keep people away from harm by teaching truth and continually pointing people to truth and and correcting falsehood. That's part of the role. But elders not only teach and oversee, they also exercise authority and lead. Got a Bible, flick to Hebrews chapter 13. And Hebrews 13 actually uses the word leader. But again, in the context of overseeing and shepherding. The expectation of leaders here is that they teach the word of God and they keep watch over the people. Look at verse seven with me. Remember your leaders. This is written to Christians, to believers. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. So elders are supposed to display in their lives what it is to be in New Community Church language, a disciple, a family member, and a missionary. How they are, to, how it, what it is, what it looks like, very practically, right? in, in every day of the week, not just on a, on a Sunday in this moment, but throughout the week, what it is to live a life that is shaped by the Word of God and not the world. Now, let's just be clear. Elders are obviously not perfect, but they are supposed to be an example. They are not above the flock. Shepherds are supposed to smell like the sheep, right? If you meet a shepherd that doesn't smell like sheep, it's probably not a good shepherd. There's a sense in which they're not CEOs and kind of removed from everybody else and and unapproachable and no, 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 they, they are in and amongst the people. Elders are not more important said that once, I'm going to say it 15 more times. They are not more important. They're not more important. They're not more important, right? They're not on a pedestal. 
They're certainly not infallible. They make mistakes. But they do have an authority from God. And crucially, this is important to remind ourselves of again and again, they are accountable to God for how they lead. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Just just pause there for a moment. Culturally, we really don't like the idea of submission. We'll come to this in a few moments' time. Idea of submitting to anybody, submission is kind of considered regressive and harmful. But actually, it's, it's not. When done biblically and right and well, submission works. But not only works, it's actually a beautiful picture of the gospel. And we'll look at that in a moment. But verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. It's quite a sobering verse for a moment. If you are an elder, you'll stand before God one day and he will say, what did you do? How did you do it? Knowing everything that you did and why you did it and will be held account. And so it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Flick over to 1 Peter 5 for a moment. Verse 1, Peter speaks to fellow elders and he charges them to shepherd the flock. He says, be an example. Exercise oversight willingly and eagerly. Verse 1 with me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, says Peter, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." So elders, biblically, are shepherds who are overseers, who are teachers, who are leaders. And so they direct the church. They have authority. They lead. They pray and seek God for where he's wanting to take the church. And then they make plans to achieve this. They ensure then that it's all happening and happening as it should. They receive input from apostolic ministry. They receive counsel from others, including from the body. Elders are not a separate thing from the, we don't care what the flock say, we're doing, no, that's, that's not what it is. They receive counsel and input from the body. It would be a foolish eldership team that didn't speak outside of the eldership team with others. They are not some separate unaccountable entity, ultimately accountable to God, but also to the people that they seek to lead and shepherd. It's his church. The elders are under shepherds to the great shepherds. And therefore, it's a, I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty big responsibility. There are not many job descriptions in the Bible that say one day you will be held accountable to God for that particular role. We'll all be held to account for how we use the gifts and the talents that God gave us. We have a responsibility to steward the things that he gave us well. Sin won't be counted against us. That's what we dealt with by Jesus. But the way we lived our life with the gifts and the talents we have will. And elders will also be held accountable for that. But biblically speaking, for a moment, elders who do all of these things are gifts in the form of people to the church. We're going to go back to Ephesians 4 now. In order to Ephesians 4 verse 12, equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. Just pause there for a moment. We are a body. We have gifts. 
We are to use the gifts. An elder's responsibility is to equip the saints for the works of ministry so that the body is built up. Saints, that's you and people in the life of the church, if you're a believer and belong to a church, you are a saint in this context. Saints are to do the work of ministry. This is really important. Nothing hinders the mission more than thinking that it's elders, it's only elders who are to do everything. Elders are not meant to do everything. This for us here at New Community is a, is a well that we have had to redig and are continuing to redig. Elders are not meant to do everything. The New Testament is emphatic when it says that every member of the church is to be involved in its life and its mission. Everybody has a gift, everybody has a role, everybody has a part, everybody needs to use it. And part of the role of elders is to equip the saints to do that for the building up of the body, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That phrase, the attain to the unity of the faith, the church is supposed to be a multicolored, multiracial, multi-everything community in which Jew and Gentile from every different nation, every different everything are brought together in unity in one body. And so elders, part of the role is they're supposed to ensure that this happens. And they're supposed to correct different areas of church life where it isn't working as it should. So if there are certain areas of life where it is and certain areas there it isn't, it's not okay for elders to go, well, do you know what? It works here, so we'll just ignore that. No, there's, a, there's supposed to be, they, that something isn't quite right there. They have a responsibility to go and address that. They have a responsibility to correct areas of church life where things aren't working as they should. They have a responsibility to deal with, and the Bible uses the word discipline, another word we do not like in our modern day context and culture, to discipline those who disrupt and damage the unity of the faith. And people get all sort of, whoa, discipline, how, wow, is this now getting into proper heavy weird stuff? Discipline is something that we're all involved with. Discipline comes when somebody who is a fellow brother or sister in Christ is acting outside of what it is to be a brother or sister in Christ. And you as a brother say, are you, are you sure you're supposed to be doing that? Do you think maybe that, how, that attitude towards that person or the way in which you live in that actually might be, is that necessarily, that's what discipline is. It's that sense of actually trying to correct and deal with. And elders come into this as people steadfastly refuse to be corrected, to steadfastly refuse and continue to be perhaps disruptive or choose to continue to be, no, I don't care. I'm just going to keep sinning in this area. And at that moment, elders are involved in saying, hey, listen, you've been warned, you've been asked, you've been told, you've been members of your community, members of this, but what are you doing? Lovingly, gently coming and correcting and confronting where sin is damaging the unity of the faith. It goes on, and we're supposed to, until we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, maturity in this sense isn't about knowing lots of doctrine, knowing lots of stuff up here. It's about how we live Monday through Saturday, the rest of the week. It's not about appearing to be very mature and pious and have a great prayer here and then live something completely contrary tomorrow morning. Maturity is when every single part of the body of Christ lives out their gifts, using their talents and everything else pushing the fullness of Jesus, who is all in all, into every area of society. And so elders have a responsibility ensuring that happens too. To the measure of the stature, the fullness of faith, look at verse 14, this is why teaching is so important. And teaching takes place, not just what I'm doing here, but in your community and in one anothering and all sorts of contexts, taking this and helping people point them to Jesus, to be more like Jesus, to live out this life, more like Jesus would call us to do. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So let's just pull all this together for a moment. Because at the heart of understanding leadership biblically is understanding church biblically. We are not a company with a board of directors and a CEO. We're not a business or an organisation with associated leadership structures. I'm not saying we can't learn anything from the world, but we are not shaped like that. We're a family. We're not like a family. We are a family. God is gathering for himself a people. We heard him worship. He is father and he makes orphans sons and daughters. He adds us to his family. We're his disciples. We're part of the family. We call family members, literally. That's why we use that phrase. And he calls us to be missionaries, those way back to where we started a few minutes ago, Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, to bring more people into the family. And so in response to that commission, as I said earlier, the first disciples went and planted churches and they organised themselves as family. And we continue to do that today. So with this family imagery in mind, let's get word and world clash mode in a big way for the next few moments. Because with this biblical imagery in mind, elders are fathers in the family. And fathers, contrary to what culture may say, is a role that only a man can play. In a family that functions properly, everyone understands and knows that there are different roles at play. Mothers and fathers have vital roles to play in leading together. And yet at the same time, there are some things that mum does and some things that dad does. And as much as in our culture, the idea of gender difference and role is dismissed and it's downplayed and it's ignored, biblically, it's really not and it cannot be. Gender differences are gifts from God that should not be abused, certainly, but they shouldn't be ignored either. They should be celebrated. Now, unfortunately, in the past, and very unfortunately, sadly, in the present too, women in the church have not been honoured and recognised as they should have been. Just got to be honest about that. Which is ridiculous, utterly, when you consider all the stories in Scripture of the prominent role of women. Women judge Israel, like Deborah. Win military victories, like Jehu. Women save their husbands, like Abigail. Their children, like Jochebed. Their city, like the Tekanite women, save their entire city. Esther saved an entire nation. Women prophesy, like Holder did. They compose songs and, uh, and psalms that appear in Scripture, just like Hannah and Mary did. They explained the word of God to everyone, including men like Priscilla did. They host churches like Chloe did. They run businesses like Lydia did. They serve as deacons and patrons like Phoebe did. They co-labour with Paul in the, in, the, in the gospel like Judea did. I hope you get the point. We could go on and on and on. Women have played and continue to play a vital role in the mission of God, the extension of the kingdom. Yeah. Oh, just wait. And the building of the church. That was a bad joke. (laughs) Women can, do, should and will in this church lead significantly within the life of the church. And part of the redigging the wells of leadership is to ensure that we practice what we preach as part of the church family. Because to some, this is important, to some saying that only men, and let's just be very clear for a moment, only certain men like only a handful of men are going to become elders. Most won't. 
So let's be very clear, saying that only men can be elders sounds to some like we're saying that women cannot be leaders. That's what it sounds like. But let me repeat something I said earlier. Whilst it is true that elders are leaders, not all leaders are elders. Just give you a scriptural example for that. Acts chapter six, Stephen, not an elder. Verse eight says, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Like he did so incredible, unbelievable things to such an extent that they hated him so much. He ends up being arrested. He gives this incredible sermon. You can read it it in, in Acts chapter seven. And they stoned him to death. Not an elder, incredible leader who did incredible things. I mean, just seen the list of, and I could have gone on, of all sorts of incredible things that women did. The Bible is not teaching that women can't lead. What the Bible teaches is more the equivalent of denying that women can be fathers and that men can be mothers. A biblical principle is equal, but not the same. Our culture thinks that equality means everyone must be treated exactly the same, which sounds wonderful, but it's not true. Just a small example, it's Wimbledon right now. Wholeheartedly agree that men and women should be paid the same. Prefer watching women's tennis anyway, because it's over quicker. Uh, (laughs) Tennis, not my thing. Men and women should absolutely be be paid the same. And yet there's a reason that they don't play each other. The men play the men and the women play the women. That's and you, I'm prepared to have that conversation as a parent of a son and a daughter and another son who all play sport. I'm very happy to have that conversation with anybody. Equal does not mean the same. Biblically, that is very true. And I'm going to finish with this because the two areas of life in which the Bible assigns different roles to men and women are marriage and family and church leadership because they're profoundly related to one another. The husband's role as the head of a household is equated with that of a church elder. So eldership is a role given only to certain men who have proved themselves qualified for this. And Paul teaches that marriage is about more than a man and a woman loving each other. Ephesians 5, very controversial verses in our culture and yet profound and very important. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as the Lord For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I don't think we can overemphasise that enough. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a big calling, right? Therefore, goes on a few verses later, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become flesh. And Paul says this mystery, it is a mystery, but it's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, marriage is ultimately a picture of Christ's love for the church, which should demonstrate to the world how Jesus treats the church and how the church responds to him. Within a marriage, The role of illustrating Christ is given to the husband and the role of illustrating the church is given to the wife. And this is important. When Jesus returns and we're with him forever, marriage will have served its function and neither husbands nor wives will play the roles they currently do. There is no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth. And to some, that's a great relief. (laughs) To others, what? That's a reality. It is a picture of something eternal. It's earthbound. And it won't last for all eternity. And this is very important. 
coming right round to this thing of submission that people don't like in our culture. The interplay between husband and wife is not meant to be how all men and all women relate to each other. Wonderful uh, book by a lady called Hannah, written by two women called Hannah Anderson and Wendy Olsop, and they say, being a wife is a role. Being a husband is a role. Being a servant is a role. Being a citizen is a role. Being male and female are not roles. While our biological sex necessarily shapes the roles we hold, in marriage a woman will be a wife and not a husband, submission does not stem directly from gender, but from a role that exists in the context of relationship. A wife submits to her husband, not because he is a man, but because he is her husband, and has committed himself to certain vows and duties in the context of their marriage. Submission happens in context of specific privileges and responsibilities found in specific relationships bound up by specific covenants. Which I just think is a wonderful way of putting it. I just want to finish by being clear on, really clear on two things. Firstly, eldership does not mean leadership. Now, obviously, elders are leaders in one sense, but their main leadership role is to lead other people, men and women, into the fullness of all that God has for them. We genuinely believe that as we follow the pattern set in Scripture, that both men and women grow and thrive and flourish in all areas of Christian life, including leadership. We have lots of gifted men and lots of gifted women who lead in all sorts of different ways, with all sorts of different gifts, with the measure that God has given them, all to the glory of God. This church needs everyone operating in their gifts. We have a great mission. We exist to make disciples, family members and missionaries of all nations to the glory of God. To do that, it requires everybody. And if you have a leadership gift, it means you need to lead. If you have a teaching gift, it means you need to teach. If you have a serving gift, it means you need to serve. If you have the gift of faith, it means you need to exercise it. If you have the gift of generosity, it means you use it. If you've got the gift of languages, we really do need you because some of us don't speak multiple languages and we actually do need to reach people from multiple nations who don't speak languages. Everybody has a part to play and that will look different in different ways. And eldership's responsibility is ensuring it functions as it should. And I'll finish with this, because back to submission. Submission is a dirty word in our culture, but we need to be really clear, we need to be really clear, submission is to do with role, not gender. All submit somewhere. According to the pattern we see in scripture, children submit to their parents. Citizens submit to governing powers. Church members submit to their leaders. Wives submit to husbands, not women to men. Submission is a role thing, not a gender thing. We all submit to Jesus. We all submit to the authority of his word. You don't agree that's, with anything I've just said? You know, that's absolutely fine. I'm really happy to talk it through, but our conversation will be based on what the word says, not the world. We all submit to his blueprint and his plan for his church. He leads this thing. He called us by name. He will see us home. One day we'll gather around the throne with people from every tribe and every tongue and we'll go, do you know what? It was all worth it and it all makes sense now. We'll probably find out we made some mistakes and we got some things wrong on the way. But do you know what? Lost in the concept of face to face with Christ. All those things will fade into insignificance. What matters most now is what will still matter most in 10,000 years time. Jesus is on the throne. He's building his church. And until the day we see that fully, we give ourselves now to the building of the church, the extension of the kingdom to the glory of God. Jesus, we thank you that you're building your church. Thank you that it is your church. We just want to submit to that now again. 
it's your church, whatever other secondary, tertiary, whatever the one after tertiary is, fourthly <laughs> issues there are. Lord, we recognise that all in all, it's about your glory. And we want to submit ourselves to your word. And we want to grow increasingly as disciples, family members and missionaries using the gifts that we have so that we might reach people of all nations to the glory of God. This great commission will be fulfilled. Help us. Help us now over these coming days, weeks, months, next couple of years to increasingly be a kind of church where everybody steps into the gifts that they have. Raise people up, God, into all sorts of leadership roles and leadership responsibilities and all sorts of other responsibilities too. Make us have a right attitude, a humility, a desire to submit to you, to honour one another, to prefer one another, to play our part in the building of the church and the extension of the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.